damn it. All right, here we go. First episode of the podcast, and I got to sit down with a very good friend of mine, Ravi Laird. I've known Ravi for over a decade now. We, we worked for a long time together, and I even lived with him for a little while. He is a musician, guitarist, live event organizer, chef, thrill seeker, world traveler, adventurist, and some might even say pun master. He is an all-around interesting character full of life stories, and he can make a dang quesadilla. So here he is, Ravi Laird. So, uh, do we have a uh, format for this thing? Uh, are, no. are you doing some interviewing? Are we just gonna? We're just we're just shooting it, man. All right, we're just nice. talking. I we're like just... that. It's just it's a little <laughs> different this time because we're not at your bar. Yes, yes. Oh, I. Uh, speaking of the bar, I um, <clears throat> my bar stools, as you know, uh, I. Uh, it took me months to find those four matching bar stools on mm-hmm. Craigslist, mm-hmm. and um, the. For those of you who don't know my bar, it's uh, they're these really cool like black leather that has this stitching uh, going across it. And they have uh, a silver kind of round base that goes up a pole and it's got a little footrest on it and they swivel all the way around. And it's got a a lever underneath the uh, right side with uh, a hydraulic in it so you can lower it and raise it. Well, the uh, hydraulics broke on these bar stools, and it leaked all over the uh, the round base. So now it's all <clears throat> it's slow. So I have to keep cleaning them. And so finally, I was just like, okay, you know, the third one's going, the fourth one is rickety, and it's not long before they're just going to be shot. So. Um, anybody want to buy some bar stools? <laughs> <laughs> so all four of them are toast? Pretty much. Uh, they, I mean, they work. I'm, I'm probably actually going to resell them on Craigslist for a lesser price mm-hmm. as just a lower bar stool. Mm-hmm. But I uh, decided that it was time to start looking for new bar stools because you know it took months before to find four matching ones and i was like man i have to do this again i have to like constantly scour craigslist looking for four matching bar stools Mm -hmm. i was on there five minutes and i was on the second page about halfway down and lo and behold i find these really really awesome uh dark stained mid-century heavy duty wooden tiki style bar stools mm-hmm. and there was uh eight of them matching and i was like oh cool and there's these pictures and it's it's showing them lined up it looked like some kind of business or something mm-hmm. so so i called i texted and the guy got back to me <clears throat> it had been i think several days so i wasn't sure they were still going to be there but the guy's like yeah i got them you know so uh, he's like, you know, we set up a time and uh, I, I, they're so nice. I was like, these are going to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. But the guy was like, um, or the ad said, if you want two of them, it's going to be, if you want only two of them, it's going to be 150 bucks, mm-hmm. you know, for the pair. And I thought that's actually still pretty good. I thought they're going to be like maybe even over a hundred a piece, but probably a hundred a piece. Mm-hmm. 
So the thing was, if you wanted four of them, there was only 250 or 200. Mm -hmm. If you wanted six of them, it was 250. And if you wanted all eight, it was 300. So I was like, yeah, 300 badass bar stools. Mm -hmm. oh, can I say ass? Mm -hmm. Okay. Say whatever you want. 300 badass bar stools. <laughs> uh, not 300 bar stools. 300, $300 bucks. Yeah. yeah for, for some really, really awesome bar stools. Oh, man. If this is going, I can show you a picture, actually. I took a picture after I got them set up in, in my bar. So if you're oh, watching so you this. bought them? Yeah. So if you're watching this, uh, you can actually see. Here's what they look like. Oh, yeah, dude. Those are nice. Yeah, you got those... the six across the front. Yeah. And then the two on the table. Yeah. So uh, here, we'll let you check these out here. Oh. There. Yeah, dude. Those are nice. Yeah. So uh, you can put that on pause if you want to see how awesome my bar is. <laughs> I got the asteroids machine over here and um, just about every, uh, well, I got lots of booze. I've been building it for, for probably four, four years now. I want to say mm -hmm. something like that. Maybe three years. The bar. Yeah. You've had it for longer than that. Haven't you? Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure when they first started uh, stocking it, but it's pretty awesome. Now I have like, several i probably have six different kinds of vodka mm -hmm. and um, probably six or seven different kinds of gin definitely probably six to eight different kinds of rum a lot of what i've um, personally uh <laughs> exported imported whatever uh myself in my suitcases stuff that you can't find here in the united states um and uh, let me see what's next over there. There is uh, kind of a smattering of mis mismatched stuff that doesn't fit on the shelf where the rest of it is. But mm -hmm. I got a pretty good selection of rye. A uh, oh, yeah, and then that uh, that like four hundred dollar or that oh. four hundred year old bottle of Jameson. Uh, Bushmills. Yeah, I went to Ireland mm -hmm. in two thousand eight for Bushmills four hundred year anniversary. Uh, so they had this, this commemorative, uh, Bushmills 400 400th anniversary commemorative whiskey. And, uh, I thought that they said that there was a trace amount and I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion. I doubt they cellared whiskey for 400 years and then mm -hmm. just added it to this. It's probably like one of those things where, you know, where you, use a little you know there's a little bit left of the previous batch and then mm -hmm. you make the batch and then there's a little bit that sits in the bottom or whatever i don't know you know it i'm not sure exactly <clears throat> if that's even true i don't remember uh it was <laughs> by the time we got to that part of it i was a little bit lit but uh because i went through there i was chosen to be one of the when you get done with the tour um they pick like eight people or 12 people mm -hmm. out of the tour group, which is, you know, my group probably had 40 people in it, 30 people, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I was one of the people who was chosen to participate in a, in a whiskey tasting course mm -hmm. at the end of the tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, they basically went through and you tasted like, 
uh, Irish whiskey and scotch and uh, some American whiskey. Uh, I think it was probably a whiskey and a bourbon or something like that. But they, by the time the course was over, you were able to distinct distinctly tell the difference between mm-hmm. scotch and Irish whiskey and bourbon and whiskey. And it was a pretty cool course. And I got the certificate and all that stuff. Kind of like the Pepsi challenge, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was blind tasting, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of it, you know, so, um, which and was really cool. Everybody there could tell the difference at the table. Yeah. That yeah. went through this course. Yeah. yeah. And that strangely enough, I was, uh, Chosen at the Jame- at Old Middleton Distillery, Old Middleton Distillery, where they do Jameson and Powers and all that stuff. And so I not only got a certificate from Bushmills, but I also got a certificate from Jameson <laughs> as an official Irish whiskey taster for whatever that's worth. That's <laughs> kind of a novelty thing. But yeah, so I did get this uh, Bushmills 1608 is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to find more of it for several years now. And uh, I found a bottle in San Diego, but when I went back this year, they had just got rid of it. Mm-hmm. They just shipped it out. So I it was a little late, which is a bummer because I think it was only 130 bucks. Uh, well, it was, that's what it was a few, uh, like when I saw it last mm-hmm. or found that it was there. And then, um, the last, because uh, I've been looking for companies online that will ship uh, booze through the mail mm-hmm. somehow. And they, the, the last company that had it, they sold their last bottle in the 500 and something dollar range uh, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. So now it's probably even more rare i'm i'm sure that they only made a limited batch of it and what's left out there is just what's left out there so mm-hmm. i have one unopened bottle one unopened bottle of bushmill 1608 still in the uh, original packaging and what do you think you're going to do with it uh well i i was thinking about uh you know, mixing it with some really sugary mixer and lighting it on fire. And, um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, I'm planning on saving it for some special occasions, you know, um, like if, uh, for some reason I was to get married, uh, <laughs> that would be quite the occasion to drink it. That would be an occasion to drink it. Uh, to drink some of it anyway with uh, some very special people. Uh, however, uh, <laughs> that's probably not too likely. <laughs> so maybe it's still going to stay shut. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. Maybe uh, if I had a kid. And that's probably Whoa. not going to happen either. Yeah. As I'm, uh, you know, I'm in my prime at 51, going to be 52 here in March. You are prime Robster right now. <laughs> prime Robster. <laughs> Robster. Um, so, yeah. So, um, I love to travel. That that trip really kind of uh, sparked my travel bug. Not that I didn't enjoy. I mean, I've always liked, you know, I followed the Grateful Dead around the country when I was mm-hmm. a kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I followed fish around too. But, uh it wasn't until I got a passport and went to 
to Bushmills, I had this really awesome girlfriend at the time. Um, she, my, when my band got back from being on the road, uh, she, because I missed, uh, the birthday thing, she had bought me this trip for both of us mm-hmm. to Ireland for explicitly to go to the, yeah, because she yeah. knew how much I wanted to go to Ireland for the mm-hmm. 400 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. And then, uh, I just, I love that we got to spend three weeks there. So, mm-hmm. um, I, we basically got in a car in Dublin and drove counterclockwise around the island. And, um, it was pretty awesome. I think we kind of missed part of the Southern end of it. Cause we were running a little short on time. We did take an excursion <clears throat> from, from the West side. I don't remember whether it was. I'm not trying, I'm trying to remember where, uh, Blarney is, but, uh, we did take a side trip away from the coast Mm -hmm. to go to Blarney and, uh, I kissed the actual Blarney stone. It's really cool because you have to, uh, lay down on your back and lean over the edge of this castle, which is like a 200 foot drop or something Mm -hmm. like that. 150 feet. I don't know what Mm -hmm. it is. It's pretty high. And uh, a little nerving, but they have people that hold your feet. And uh, and then there's these poles Damn. that you have to reach up behind your head. And um, I said, which one is actually the Blarney Stone? Is it the one everybody's kissing? Because the guy kept going, oh, that's not the right one. That's not the right one. But, you know, whatever. They don't know. And so I was like, I, I heard you saying that they're not kissing the right one. Which one? Which one is the actual Blarney Stone? And... The guy's like, oh, it's it's actually the one below the one that everybody's kissing. It's like further down, but people don't want to stretch out that over far. that yeah. far down. I'm like, I'm getting the actual one, mm-hmm. you know. So I went way over and it was, you know, I was holding on for dear life to those poles. And mm-hmm. the guy had my feet and and I actually kissed the right one. And there's it, pictures of it and stuff. You and, would think like the, the rock would be worn away a little bit if people have been kissing it for hundreds of years. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I don't think it is. No, no, I don't think, uh, the wear and tear from people's lips over, over the time, uh, has really worn it down and, you know, there's no divots or, or indentation in the rock. And that's why people didn't know which one to actually kiss. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, you probably don't know the story behind the Blarney stone, no, but, uh, strangely enough, uh, you're, getting a good taste of the result right here as we're speaking because the Blarney stone gives you the gift of gab. Oh, yes. you don't say. Yes. And uh, I don't remember the exact thing, but it was like carried in these, you know, this, this, this gesture, I think it was, um, was bringing it to this king's court or something like that and uh, the king was i think he was displeased with some stuff and somehow the blarney stone was introduced and so it made everybody talk Mm -hmm. or it made the people who were i don't know if they touched it or what i don't think they were kissing it Mm -hmm. but um somehow it got uh this this mythology mm-hmm. based around it and it was eventually uh i think it was stolen 
and smuggled and then to hide it they put it high on this castle as part of the castle i see so, so it's 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 of a size that you could move um it's a i mean i'm i'm you know how'd they build the pyramids yeah. I, I don't know it was you know, it's it's pretty hefty and just the some of those castles out there anyway are just magnificent like yeah you, to go there and think about the the how the history you know and, mm-hmm. and how long ago these people built these things and how they moved them and and even designed it and got it built it's just amazing you mm-hmm. know so that was pretty that was pretty cool um so yeah that was that was a that was a good trip so uh so for my birthday this year um I started, uh, this is going to be a third one in a row. I started on my 50th birthday and uh, I decided I'm going to do destination birthdays now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the first year I went to, I picked Sayulita, Mexico, which Mm -hmm. is just above Puerto Vallarta. And um, all my friends from all over the the United States uh, got tickets and we all flew down there and rented a big old house and just raged. It was awesome. And uh, Sayulita is a cute little town. And um, we uh, we hired this service that picks you up. You land in Puerto Vallarta. And uh, we had hired this service that picks you up in these uh, brand new giant SUVs and uh, black Ford Escalade, you know. And, and they're waiting for you right outside the airport door with a sign with your name on it. And they're like, they're like, you're like, oh, that's me. And they're like, hey, come over here, come over here. You know, and so, you know, you literally walk maybe 100 feet mm-hmm. to the car, which is just waiting right there. And they're like, they're like, bienvenidos, you know, welcome, welcome to, to Mexico, welcome to Puerto Vallarta, you know, um, you guys want a margarita, but beer? And I said, I'll take one of each, please. Uh-huh. He's like, great. So he gives me a margarita and a beer and we all get in and everybody has their drinks and away we go for uh-huh. the 45 minute drive north to uh, Sayulita. Yeah, it sounds kind of hidden away and uh, yeah. not well known. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's a cute little uh, it's a cute little town. Um, it literally has one street going one way through the middle of it, and mm-hmm. another street going the other way through the middle of it. And mm-hmm. that's about. I mean, there's a couple of streets that go like from that one main street going down towards the water, like three blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's all like these square cobblestones, you know, and it's uh, a lot of people rent um, golf carts is mm-hmm. really popular to get around the, the town and uh, great food, mm-hmm. some amazing restaurants. There's a, there's kind of like a, a park plaza mm-hmm. at the, at the one end of town. And uh, if you take the road in your golf cart up and over the hill, there's what's called uh, Playa Los Muertos, mm-hmm. the Beach of the Dead. And the reason that is is because right up on that hill, there's this really, really amazing graveyard cemetery. And mm-hmm. they have these incredible statues. It's, in the, it's in this like jungly area and they have these statues and, and these amazing like crypts and 
just really, really well decorated. And it's just an amazing thing that goes up onto this hill. It's, it's just a spectacle. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to, to go there and just check it all out. And the place has got, you know, iguanas crawling all mm-hmm. around through the trees and stuff. And uh, then you go down past that and to the right. And then you come out on this little teeny sliver of beach, you know, maybe maybe 50 people with a blanket could be there maybe 100 i don't i don't remember it's not super huge mm-hmm. but it's not you know it's 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 cozy yeah and so there's that and uh so I, that was my second time there i i just i liked it so much that i wanted my friends to go there you and know. so you're saying this is we're going to you're going to go every year you're going to go to a different place each no, year no that was the first year that was my 50th mm-hmm. and then uh for my 51st I, I, I wanted to make it so that people who didn't have passports could come out. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, someplace here in the States, someplace that's special to me. So I went up to Long Beach, Washington, where, um, have you been there? Long Beach, Washington on the coast? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been there. If you drive out to Astoria, there's a four and a half, a four. Four or four and a half mile long bridge. Oh, yeah. No, I've been on that. Goes over the yeah. Columbia River, the mouth of the Columbia River, where it opens up into the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, it goes way up high where the boats can go under it. And then it, it goes back down close to the water. So you're literally, it looks like you're driving almost on the water yeah. for a good three miles. Yeah. It. Yeah, it's long. And then, so if you take that to the left and then you go out, there's this really, really awesome place called Long Beach, Washington. And you can drive on the beach there. I think the speed limit's like 30 miles an hour or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, you can literally drive and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. And there's nobody there. There's, there's, I mean, it's just wild area. Mm-hmm. But you can stop and get out and look. And as far as you can see in both directions is just the beach, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, so did you... Did you camp there? Well, there was a place called the Adrift Hotel. So my band, uh, Tapwater, I'm in a new band now also called Lucky Boku. Um, but my, my Tapwater is my main band. Uh, Tapwater played both nights and people flew into Portland and then they, we all went out to this place called the Adrift Hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we played both nights and partied. And um, I think I think uh, maybe we overdid it a little bit or they, they're under a new ownership. So they didn't really understand. I don't know how they couldn't have. They hired a band to play and they have bands play. Yeah. But for some reason, they told us that that we were um, too, too loud, yeah. I think. And we're, and we're not a, a rowdy band. You know, we're kind of like an Americana country yeah. rock, mm-hmm. but certainly not heavy, you know. Mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, Was it like a, a curfew thing? I, I, maybe. some. Apparently some people had complained, but we brought all these people there and made the hotel a ton of money, and mm-hmm. they... You know, and I guess that doesn't matter, but um, it's neither here nor there. But they they just basically said, you know what? Just stop. Just stop playing. We're going to pay you. Here's your money. Just mm-hmm. just stop. And we're mm-hmm. like, and and all of our, like, we had packed the place. It was yeah. packed. 
with, and everybody was there to see us and they're like, what? Yeah. Why are you making them the boo? You know, why are you making yeah. them stop? And then like, so people were calling to the office and complaining and they were like, they're like, Hey, you know, we came all the way out here. We bought plane tickets. You know, we did yeah. all this. We're, we're, you know, bringing money into your hotel and, and like, what's, what's the deal, mm-hmm. you know? And this was in Long Beach or this is in Portland? In Long Beach. Yeah. And, uh, so so then what you just so we we stopped (laughs) we stopped and just went and uh like pretty much raged in in our rooms you know because we had you know so many of the rooms were rented out and Mm -hmm. and uh we just kind of partied in the rooms and then i guess that was too loud (laughs) (laughs) and uh it was it was really cool though because um uh, I had a buddy out who I used to produce music festivals with. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he's really into wine and I'm really into wine. And so I brought a couple of really big bottles down there. Um, not super huge bottles, but like I had a cane five that was uh, uh 2002 cane five. You know, I think they're brand new. They're like in the current vintage, they're probably around a hundred bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so decent, you know, but this mm-hmm. one was cellared. So it was probably worth more than that. And mm-hmm. then I had, um, I had another bottle of a uh, 2002 Chateau Montalena estate cab and that went down really good. And he brought some, some big ones too. Um, I don't remember what they were, but, uh, you know, we had a good old time, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we had some tequila, of course did tequila shots but uh yeah so that was that was 51 that was 51 so uh and it was eventful we 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 had uh <laughs> it's it's right near this place called i want to say it's called oysterville and uh it which is about 15 or 20 miles up the beach mm-hmm. and uh we i think we got like 200 oysters and brought them back and we're shucking them out there on the beach. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had all the accoutrements, you know, limes and, and hot sauce and, you know, so it was really good. Um, fun time. But, uh, so this time I was like, okay, you know, I want to go do something a little, a little more extravagant again. So th- we're taking it back to Mexico. So it's still kind of easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you don't have a passport, you you know, yeah, you're going to have a hard time getting back in the States. Yeah. <laughs> if you can get down that well, no, you have to have a passport actually to buy a flight down there. But if you drove across the border, you know, I don't know, you'd be bummed trying to get back. But, uh, yeah, we're going to a Zawatanejo, Mexico. Oh, what the what? Zawatanejo. Zawatanejo. Yeah. Uh, some people might remember the end of, uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Where, oh, no shit. Is that where, where he goes? Uh, Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. finally gets out after uh, the the main guy escapes and mm-hmm. says, I'm going down to Zawatneho, you know, and and uh, if you feel inclined, meet me down there, you'll mm-hmm. find me on this beach and whatever. And that was that the ending scene was Morgan Freeman walks up and and sees sees him and they give each other a hug on on this beach in Zawatneho. How do you spell it? Uh, Z-I-H-U-A-T- a N E J O. Zawatneho. Right next to Ixtapa? Yes, next to Ixtapa. I highly recommend 
skipping Extapa. So this is my second time to Zuatanejo also. Um, my favorite Mexican food restaurant um, is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's called Annie, A-N-Y, and it is absolutely hands down the best Mexican food I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and I used to live in San Diego, like, and I would go down into Tijuana and Tecate and all this and Ensenada and, you know, it's this, this just blows it away. Yeah. But the question is, can they make a quesadilla? (laughs) Yes, they can make a quesadilla. (laughs) Have you noticed that though? Any place you ever go, I don't even order quesadillas when I go out because I'm like, no, yeah, you you can't do it. Yeah. I, I, I got this under control. Yeah, I I do I do. I in case you guys don't know out there, I uh, I make some incredible quesadillas mm, the best. with all kinds of just tons of stuff. I have specialty quesadillas. Uh, I have one called a blue pig, which is um, it's got uh, peppered bacon uncured, uh, and um, let's see, it was cheddar cheese. And uh, crumbled blue cheese mixed in through it. And um, then it had grated Parmesan on the top and then the top. So I do a tortilla and then the stuff on it and then a, uh, a top tortilla. Well, and the thing that that was always different to me is, is the amount of time that you put into it in terms of cooking. I, I always cook mine in like, you know three minutes or whatever, but you, you simmer that boy low. I do it on really low heat Uh so that it slowly melts the cheese Mm -hmm. and it doesn't burn the tortilla. Yeah. And when the cheese gets hot enough and it, and it pulls out the oils in the cheese, it cooks everything else that's in it. So like I have, you know, sometimes I'll go and uh, I'll have, cooked chicken that I chop up or whatever and all, you know, all this stuff, you know, broccoli or onions or whatever I'm going to put in the quesadilla, you know, and, uh, you know, if, you know, I'll take it out of the refrigerator. Sometimes I'll just look in my refrigerator and I'll mm-hmm. be like, Oh, I have this, I have this, I have this, I can make a, you know, this sometimes I, I mean, I've put macaroni and cheese in my quesadilla. Mm-hmm. I've done that for my kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, there's all kinds of good stuff you can put in quesadilla. Mm-hmm. I, I make a Southwestern style quesadilla that's got chicken and broccoli and corn and mm-hmm. black beans and smoked paprika and garlic, you know, yeah, yeah you can put anything in these things, but mm-hmm. if you're taking it out of the refrigerator, that stuff isn't going to get hot in three minutes, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. like I do it slow and all the grease, it starts sizzling inside and it just, just heats everything up and cooks it literally inside the quesadilla. And then I have this clever way of getting it flipped over because the quesadilla tortilla, open face tortilla with all Mm -hmm. the stuff in it and another one on top of it is pretty much the size of the pants. I mean, if you take a spatula and get it under there, it's so hot that it just folds right over the the spatula. So I started taking a plate a glass plate and turning it upside down over the top of the pan Mm -hmm. and the quesadilla. And then I pick the pan up and I turn it, I put my hand on the plate and then turn the pan upside down and then lift the pan Mm -hmm. and put it back on the fire. And now the quesadilla is flipped over on the plate. And then Mm -hmm. I simply slide it back into the pan to get the other side done. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's experience. Yeah. And it comes out nice and golden brown. I don't use any butter or anything like that mm-hmm. on the uh, on the pan or the tortilla. You don't put just, anything in there? Not on the outside, no. No? no just, Sometimes I put butter in there. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my mom likes to put butter on the, uh, on the pan. Mm-hmm. And it just, it kind of makes that crispy kind of outside. Mm-hmm. But I find that the tortilla on low heat, it browns it and it makes, gives it this really cool like, like marbled, marbled toasted yeah. kind of look to the outside of mm-hmm. the quesadilla without having to use the butter, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's uh, not as fattening. There you go. Save, not that I'm really worried about too much about Save some calories, man. Yeah. Save some calories. Mm-hmm. That way you can have a bigger helping of ice cream afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I know when, uh, when you were kind enough to let me live there, for that stretch that was fun that uh that freezer in the garage with the 14 <laughs> half gallons of ice cream i've never seen that much ice cream before you know it's a, when it goes on sale i i just you know i'm like wow two dollars and 50 cents a carton might as well and it's for the dryers which you know uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately it's a nestle product nestle bottom so i i've been really feeling conflicted about buying it <laughs> you uh but you uh, ever get I had to get one of each flavor yeah yeah i have done tillamook makes some great ice they cream they make some yes, really good ice do. cream it's uh it's it's the full fattening there again fat um but uh the dryer slow churn mm-hmm. is it, it just i mean it's super creamy and rich and it doesn't taste like low fat ice cream but mm-hmm. it's half the half the calories and half the fat and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So it's really super good. Um, but yeah, so when it's, you know, when it's on sale, I'll, you know, for two fifty a, a carton, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy 20 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, is there a freezer completely full of ice cream out there? Uh, right now I would say I probably have 10 different flavors. Mm-hmm. So I really like uh, chocolate chip mint, and I like uh, like caramel ribbon mm-hmm. stuff in it, or the candied pecans or nuts, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, chocolate covered uh, nuts, also, or like uh, the, the the peanut butter cup chunks. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that one's good. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Cold Stone a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, yep. But you have it right there in a carton. Uh, yeah, we started buying the the Tillamook brand just because the the it's the only one in the ice cream aisle where the first ingredient is heavy cream or something cream. All the other ones, the first ingredient is usually like milk. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Tillamook stuff, it's like it's five rich, ingredients, yeah. you know. Yeah. But yeah, it is like kind of like when you make it at home. Exactly. Which, speaking of, I need to make another batch of ice cream. You make homemade too? Yeah, I have. uh, A few years ago, uh, a few years ago, I got an ice cream maker um, from uh, the person that owns the house. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, so she knew how much I loved ice cream. And Mm -hmm. she's like, now you can make your own ice cream. Mm -hmm. And we made a really awesome batch it was a strawberry banana ice cream was uh the bad the first batch we made 
the only batch we made actually. I don't mm-hmm. know why I haven't made more ice cream. It's um, it just tastes so good. Yeah, it just yeah. doesn't last as long, right? Mm, I mean, it's in a freezer. See, it seems like the only place I've ever had it is my parents have one and they'll make it, and it seems like it it never lasts very long for some reason. If you can keep it, like I think part of the reason mine lasted is because I. I would put it back in the deep freeze once, mm-hmm. you know, so I mean, it's, it froze solid. Yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, well, that's not going to go bad. Yeah. <laughs> unless, well, unless the freezer unplugs, but yeah. 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 No, I mean, the other reason it never lasts very long either is because there's, oh, there's always yeah. like 15 people around and it just gets destroyed. Yeah. Because the container's only. Yeah. It's, it's big. really small. Yeah. I, I don't even think it's a, uh, I don't even think it's a half gallon. Mm-hmm. It might be. Maybe it's probably a few pints, mm-hmm. but it might be four pints. Yeah. Which is a half gallon. So, so uh, you mentioned a minute ago that there's something else going on besides tap water. What's up with that? Oh, uh, I started in this band uh, about a year ago ish, a little less than a year ago. It's called Lucky Boku mm-hmm. and um, kind of a Cajun Creole country ish kind of thing. You know, we uh, uh, do a lot of covers, um, JJ Kale stuff, uh, um, not all JJ Kale, but just, uh, you know, a lot kind of like in that vein, uh, fa- do Fats Domino tune. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really fun. Uh, it's a lot less strict than tap water. Tap water is very, uh, very written out and mm-hmm. structured and all the parts are, are pretty strict parts. Um, you know, uh, melodies are consistent throughout every time we play it a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I mean, there is some room for improvisation, but, uh, with Lucky Boku, <clears throat> you know, the band leader, his name is Matt Voth, and uh, he, he will just be jamming and, like, it won't even be the same person that takes a solo necessarily every time. It's mm-hmm. just, like, whatever he's feeling at the time, you know, he looks across the stage, he's like, go! <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then you never know, like, you know, like, I'm used to, you know, being in tap water where, where you know, you you take one for eight measures or something like that. And you know, it's very, you know, you got this specific amount of time mm -hmm. and then you're done. But with this, he's just like, if I stopped after eight measures, he'd look at me like, what are you doing? Keep going, dude. (laughs) You just started. (laughs) You just got it started getting going. So it's kind of, uh, it's, it's really fun actually, because, uh, I have to keep looking over and I'm like, am I still doing this? <laughs> like I've played like 32 measures yeah. now and, uh, yeah. you know, or whatever. So, uh, and, and, you know, and he's like, no, keep going, you know? So, okay. And so I'll play it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other confusing part about that is, is, um, uh, we have this, uh, this keyboard player that used to play actually with tap water. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, uh, we, this show was up in the air that I was producing 
uh, in this barn. Uh, it was a barn dance and, um, I hired a couple other bands and, uh, and, uh, Matt was getting kind of a little antsy because, um, the keyboard player ended up not being able to do it that we had been using. And that's another thing with this band, Lucky Boku, is that uh, it's kind of a roster type band where mm-hmm. he wants to have you know several people in each position. That way, if somebody's not available, he has a, another person that that knows the tunes that mm-hmm. he can call them. And you know, well, that and way, I, there's always somebody to make the shows. How many piece band is this? Uh, well, it's drums, bass. Uh, Matt plays guitar, but if we don't have a bass, he'll play bass. Mm-hmm. And then uh, usually keys, uh, me on guitar and violin. Oh, so, nice. uh, are not, yeah, then there's a violin, not me on violin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ever tried playing violin? I used to play a viola actually. When, Dude, it's so hard. School. Yeah, it's, uh, it was fun, but um, yeah, that was, was short lived and grade school orchestra mm-hmm. but um yeah so i i tell i told him i was like oh i know this guy that could that could do keys and you know we'll just give him the charts you know mm-hmm. and he and he's like he's like you know we uh i really you know it's such such a short notice and <clears throat> you know but if you say he's good enough and i'm like oh yeah you're gonna love this guy he's great you know and he's like well uh no rehearsals with him i'm a little nervous but like i trust you and wait a so, minute wait a minute he was gonna he was gonna go play a show with you guys with zero rehearsal. Yeah, to show up and play. Yeah, well, I told him. I said, wait, well, you know, he's 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 a good reader, so mm-hmm. we'll just give him the charts. We have charts, you know, chord charts, you know, it's you know, and so I was like, he's 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 competent, you know, mm-hmm. and he's just got such good feel, and the songs aren't super hard either, you know, and so uh, well, they're all covers too, right? No, the, I mean it's there's a lot of covers, but there's also a lot of really originals too. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe half and half. Yeah, and so of course Tim comes in and just starts shredding on keyboards, and Matt turns over and looks at him after his first solo, and he's just like got this big old <laughs> smile on his face. <laughs> and so he started calling him out for more and more solos throughout the the set, and. You know, at the end of the set, he's like, well, uh, you know, I guess Tim can play with us anytime he wants to, you know, like Mm -hmm. love to have him on board, you know? And so, so, uh, yeah. So we're playing this, uh, Mardi Gras show on the 22nd Mm -hmm. at the wonder ballroom. And then we're playing the, uh, fat Tuesday at Mississippi studios on the 25th. So not as much happening with. Tap water, just mainly these guys. Yes, actually, uh, tap water. We are recording three new tracks for a new movie from Rush Sturges. Whoa, um, that's cool. Yep, this will be, I think, our fourth or fifth movie mm-hmm. that he's hired us to write music for. Do you get to see the movie and then write to it, or do you just have to come up with something? Um. Rudy, our band leader, uh, pretty much writes most of the material. And uh, I don't know how much of it he actually sees. Mm -hmm. Rush kind of um, throws ideas at him about 
you know, like I'm kind of looking for this kind of feel mm-hmm. and, you know, it's going to go over this kind of, kind of segment. And, uh, so I'm not sure if Rudy actually sees it because in this, at this early stage of development, the movies like, I don't even think it's edited yet. You yeah. Know? He's just got the idea for the clip mm-hmm. and, um, but maybe some of it's together and maybe he sees, he sees it. Uh, we did actually watch, um, we watched, part of the movie we watched about the first half of the movie after rehearsal the other night mm-hmm. uh, rehearsing these three songs that we're gonna go we're recording in a studio in tacoma mm-hmm. washington uh just before i leave for mexico for my birthday mm-hmm. so march 6th through 10th i want to say mm-hmm. something like that and, and then, then hopefully the movie's out sometime like fall or something Mm, I'm not sure when it's going to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cool. Uh, the uh, We actually got uh, nominated for Best Original Film Score for at the Extance Film Festival in Salt Lake City oh, yeah? for the, the first or second one that we did. And we didn't quite make it. I think we were in the top 10. Mm-hmm. But it was something like 12,000 or 14,000 films, I want to say. Damn. And, uh, the next film that we did, we got nominated again for best original film score and actually won it. So that was really cool. We got this trophy and it's like a extance film festival version of an Oscar mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, yeah. Grammy, whatever. So it's pretty cool. That was, that was awesome. What um, movie was that for? That one was, I'm trying to remember. It was either frontier or dream result. I think those were the two that we got nominated for Mm -hmm. and they are uh rush sturges who is an extremely dynamic individual he uh he's uh an amazing athlete um he's a pro kayaker Hmm. and uh he was uh, one of the innovators uh early innovators in the sport and is considered the best all around kayaker in the world. Actually, he, um, he's not like the best at waterfall drops or the best at big waves or the best, you know, he, but he's the best Jack of all trades. He can Mm -hmm. do all that stuff and he's really good at it. And he, he, you know, he invented a lot of tricks where, Mm -hmm. where he would do like a forward somersault in his kayak off the lip of a, you know, like a hundred foot waterfall, Yeah, you know? And so, that was kind of groundbreaking back mm-hmm. then, you know. So he started filming all this stuff and started editing it together and just got so proficient at it that he became professional mm-hmm. and makes incredible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, most of it has been uh, like documentary style whitewater uh, stuff. The last one that we did was called Chasing Niagara about. You showed me a clip from that. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah. Rafa Ortiz and his three year long journey to uh, kayak over Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was uh, a lot of training and the journey of all the places in the world they went to train for this, mm-hmm. for this drop over Niagara. And, um, and then, uh, so yeah, so that was the last one. That movie actually got picked up by the stars network bought by stars and so um this new movie i well 
I don't remember the guy's name even, but it's, it's another film about some early uh, kayaking legend guy who um, he had this dream of, of running in their entirety, these four sister uh, rivers mm-hmm. and um, it really, really, really extremely steep terrain with crazy, you know, like once you go down, like there's no way to really get out for hundreds of miles or something like yeah. that. And it's just, I don't even know how you could scout all that. Yeah. You know, and, and these guys just went for it. And uh, I guess he had run, he wanted to be the first person in the world that not only ran the, the, the river in its entirety, but all four rivers in their entirety. And so he got through, I think the first three and he, I think he got, came down with some kind of illness mm-hmm. and it, it forced him to quit the sport, mm-hmm. you know, and, and basically abandon his dream. And he just thought he was done. And, and I guess a decade later he got better and refocused and went for it. When did the the fourth one that he did the fourth one? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. So it's really exciting to get to do three songs for the new movie. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And then, you know, we're booking for the rest of 2020. Mm -hmm. So, well, well, so how does that work? Uh, in this scenario, doing the, the songs for the movie, do you get any sort of, um, money down the line based on how well it does, or is it just flat fee? They just um, pay you. That's it. Yeah. They just pay us yeah. uh, a flat fee. So it's work for hire. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's fun though. You know, I mean, you kind of got to let go of any ownership that you feel over it. Like, Hey, that's my part, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, you kind of learn to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a fantastic record producer. His name is Steve Berlin and mm-hmm. he's a, uh, he's a, uh, six, six time Grammy winning record producer mm-hmm. and a member of the band Los Lobos. And, uh, he has been really instrumental, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, with, with, uh, the just shaping the direction that our band has taken musically and, um, you know, he's, he kind of showed us early on that, uh, you know, like it, that thing with, you know, being able to let go of something and not be so attached to it Mm -hmm. because, you know, somebody that's on the outside looking in and listening, you know, it's going to have a different perspective than anybody who's in the band who's created this for sure, this work or song, you know? So like being a work for hire with these songs for these movies, you know, is, you know, you're like, okay, cool. Well, I got, I got paid for it. It's, it's, it's fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really fun to listen to it and watch the movie and, and hear your music and all that stuff. And, you know, you still get a credit, you know? Yeah. And, um, but like with Steve, you know, when he first came on board, uh, the first record he produced for us was uh, called Too Dark to Blink. And um, he agreed to produce it finally. <laughs> he was saying he couldn't at first, but uh, um, 
as he came, became involved with it, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to produce the record, but you guys have to let me do what I know needs to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be things that I'm going to have to chop and cut and edit, you know, and there's to make it cohesive to fit together and to make the songs the right length and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff, you know, he's like, but trust me, you guys have to let me do that yeah. and you're not going to like all of it, mm-hmm. but you have to let that be okay. And I remember the first time he, I heard some of the stuff that he did, I was like, no, <laughs> really? No, man. And, 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 uh, but I was like, okay, I, you know, I trust him. I know, like, obviously the guy's a professional at this. So, yeah. so, uh, and sure enough, by the time all was said and done, he's like, trust me, you don't know what it's going to sound like when it's done. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. And sure enough, when that record came out on the first time I heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this, it was the most amazing thing we had put out yet Yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, we've worked with him on a lot of, uh, musical projects since then. And, uh, he did just produce our new record also which is called shoebox photographs Mm -hmm. and um this one is absolutely by far our our best work to date Mm -hmm. yeah definitely really really uh a lot more mature Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the songwriting and in the production Mm -hmm. All, all elements it's just we're really proud of this record mm-hmm. you know so yeah i remember i remember being upstairs and hearing you practice solos for some of those songs <laughs> oh, over yeah. and over and over again and then hundreds of times i go down and talk to you hey how's it going ravi oh man i really hope he likes this one i've got it <laughs> nailed right now i hope he likes it you know <laughs> yeah and that's funny too because uh rudy was like hey send me those tracks i want to hear what what you know those recordings of you playing along to the to the uh to the tracks that we got so far Mm -hmm. you know and and he's like man i don't know i don't know about that part (laughs) you know and and uh so it was a little nerve-wracking because you spend that much time you know like i mean some of those guitar solos you know i spent you know many hours oh yeah every day yeah you know sometimes eight hours in a day Uh you know just working it out cutting little pieces and changing it and rearranging it and to to where to where it flowed together and i had my phrasing Mm -hmm. that made sense to me and uh i'm really uh to me i'm i'm more of a tasteful lead player Mm -hmm. uh i'm not super into like fast shredding, you know, I mean, it's it's cool. I love it. I love that stuff, but you know, I don't necessarily have to do it. I'm more of into the, into the, uh, like, I guess David Gilmore would be a good example Mm -hmm. where, you know, David Gilmore shreds. He's not a super Mm -hmm. speedy player, Mm -hmm. but he's so tasteful, you know, he's meticulous too. Yeah. And he's really, you know, so I, I, I kind of like try to take that approach when I'm writing a guitar solo, I want it to flow and, and take you on a musical journey through the solo. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So when you spend that much time, you know, I mean, some of the guitar solos took me 
you know, a couple of weeks for one guitar solo of hours and hours every day, writing it and rearranging it and mm-hmm. getting it to the point where I'm like, okay, this is it. This mm-hmm. is the one, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and then, and then to, to realize that like this whole solo might not even fly. Like yeah. they might just go, nope, that's not nope. going to go there. Yep. You know? So, <laughs> so, you know, I had fun doing it. And that was what, that was what I ultimately, uh, uh, resolved to was I was like, well, you know what? It, it was a great experience because uh, before I used to just kind of go in and, and wing it, you know, I wouldn't necessarily write guitar solos. I would improvise guitar solos in the studio and, and, uh, so this is the first one I spent a lot of time really just articulating everything, writing mm-hmm. the solo from front to back. And actually, sometimes I wrote the solo from the middle to the front and then finished it. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've, I've, it's the first time I took this approach for a record. And uh, somehow every guitar solo made the cut mm-hmm. for, for well, each of the songs. And so. You play them that way live too, right? Yes. You don't really deviate. You, yeah. you play the, the album version. Mostly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, I might do a little thing or if I happen to uh, slip up and get off of where I was, then I'll just improvise for the rest of it and maybe I'll come back in and maybe I won't. Mm-hmm. There's certain things though, like, uh, like outro runs, like the outro run to home. Like it's just such, you know, the whole thing just builds to that last run coming mm-hmm. out of the solo up to that last note, that high note. Um, and, uh, I try to always do that just because it's so fitting and brings the whole thing back into the, yeah, to the, to the song again, mm-hmm. you know? So that's pretty cool. And, uh, you still have a drum set? I do. Yeah. I do have a drum set. You didn't I plan uh, it at all or anything? I bought it on Craigslist. <laughs> didn't take me two weeks or three weeks or a month or anything to find that one. There's lots of drum sets on Craigslist. Yeah. Uh, although I did talk to our drummer and had, I was like showing him all the ones that I was looking at and he's like, no, that's a piece of junk. That's a piece of junk. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, no wonder they're 300 bucks you yeah. know, or 500 bucks. Or whatever. Yeah. So he finally found this, I, f- I found this one and he's like, that actually might be a good kit. It was a, uh, maple shell kit and, uh, it was an old vintage pearl 70s style kit so it's a little Mm -hmm. bit uh little bit smaller uh sizes on the drums and um so it had a kick a snare two toms and a floor tom Mm -hmm. so two rack toms and a floor tom and uh came with um I could have upgraded and it came with all the hardware for the symbols. It came with uh, three symbols. It came with a crash, a ride and a, the hi hat and uh, some stands. And uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I went to the guy's house and I'm not really a drummer. And uh, so he's like, he's like, uh, you want to play it? And I'm like, no, not really. I suck. I'm like, I can't play drums. He's like, looked at me funny. He's like, why are you buying a drum? Are you, you're going to learn to play drums. And I'm like, uh, maybe he's like, okay, what's going on? So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm building a, a rehearsal recording slash recording studio in, in my basement. And mm-hmm. 
I don't want have to have, you know, I don't want drummers to have to bring their, their drum set to, to rehearse, you know, like it's just a pain in the ass to move a drum set, yeah. you know, break it down, load it all in the car, you know, bring, load it all back out of the car to the rehearsal space, set it up. And then at the end of it, you have to do that all backwards. You know, you have yeah. to break it down again, put it back in the car, mm-hmm. drive it home, take it out of the car and set it back. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah. So, so I kind of did it the way I did in my bar. You know, I slowly just over course of time as I get the money for it, you know, just buy a little thing here, buy a little thing there. And, uh, pretty soon, you know, so now I have a bass rig and two guitar rigs and nice. a drum set. And, uh, I got a, um, just got a new, not, well, you know, it, but, uh, I just got a digital console a couple of years ago. It's mm-hmm. a QU 24 Allen mm-hmm. Heath. And, uh, then I got, um, the, uh, EVZLX line, mm-hmm. uh, speakers for, for monitors and it sounds great down there. Yeah. Is everything set up? Um, well, that was the other trick is, uh, I'm sharing the space with myself. Uh, you know, the layout of the basement down there, but, um, the front half of the basement is the bar and the bar area. And the other half is, is, the other space and it's a home theater system. Um, it's uh, 5.1 digital surround that I installed and I fabricated uh, mm-hmm. rigging so that I could hang the speakers up in the corners and, um, and got this really awesome TV. It's got a really cool uh, 65 inch OLED 4k um, for, first time i've ever bought a black friday thing oh dude i did that a couple years ago <laughs> yeah that was a, that was uh an experience did so, you go to best buy i did yeah. yeah yeah and i got the best uh the number one rated overall 4k tv of 2019 it's uh it's a lg c9 i want to say what was the deal on it um, it was, um, I've been researching for a few years now, uh, cause I've been wanting to buy a really nice TV and all the articles that I was reading is like, don't buy yet. Don't buy yet. Yeah. Wait a little bit longer, wait a little bit longer. You know, they're going to come down in price. And so, so they were like right now, um, you know, a, a 55 to 65 inch TV, you can get really, really awesome ones uh in about the 2k price range mm-hmm. and i was like ah oh, that's not i want to i don't want to spend that much money yeah you know and i thought i was going to get away with not spending that much money uh i thought i was going to get away with like half of that and i was like no i'm, I'm only gonna go you know 800 dollars. and then i was like okay and I, I was looking at out of all my research i was like well this one is only you know it's like a thousand mm-hmm. and which is still more than i wanted to spend on a on a tv yeah you know but the more research I did, the more I just dug myself into this hole, you know, and I'm like, well, it's got to have HDMI 2.1 cause it does, you know, 48 gigabytes a second of transfer Mm -hmm. and it'll, it'll last into the future cause Mm -hmm. it'll handle 4k and 8k and 10k resolutions and all that stuff. And it, you know, supports Dolby vision and all the new formats and stuff. And then I was like, man, 
and it's OLED. So I'm like, okay. So when I finally, I was like, well, this, these are the, these are the specs that I want and here's what I'll compromise on. And then pretty much what I wanted ended up being like the best TV. And I'm like, of course. Shocker. So, so I, so I was, I was talking to my girl and, um, and, uh, she, she's like, well, black Fridays in like a week, mm-hmm. if you're really going to pull the trigger on this. And I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'll do it. And I had just had a, a ton of independent contracting work mm-hmm. and made a bundle of loot. So I was like, you know, I'm going to splurge a little of this, yeah. you know, and instead of paying off my car or whatever, I was like, I'm just going to buy a toy. Mm-hmm. So I did. So anyway, it kind of got off track there because I'm so excited about this TV. It's pretty new still. It looks amazing. Oh, I'm sure it does. It's, it looks, it's astonishing actually. Did you hang it on the wall? Um, No, I have it in the same place as the other one. Mm -hmm. It's on on top of a cabinet, Mm -hmm. uh, but this one's 65 inch and you know, that one was like 40. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's quite a bit bigger and it's, it's just so much better picture it's yeah. it's really amazing that where technology has gone but um so the idea was getting back to our conversation the idea was to take this other part of the room because obviously you can't really hybrid the the bar room you know i mean there's i'm not going to be able to move a an old 80s arcade yeah. <laughs> machine around yeah they're so heavy but uh uh but so I was like, I want to make the this room. I don't want to give up my home theater, mm-hmm. but I really don't want to give up the idea of having a rehearsal slash recording studio. So I thought about it for quite a bit of time and finally came up with an idea of how to make it both. Mm-hmm. So the way it's set up normally is a home theater. But when I know I'm going to have rehearsal... I have made a situation where it literally takes about 10 minutes to switch it into a rehearsal studio. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I take the the long couch that's facing the TV and slide it over against the far wall. Mm-hmm. And the small two-person couch, I lift up on its end and slide it back into the laundry room. And the drum set just lives right behind that little couch anyway against that wall. So it's already in place. It's already set up. It's already set up and ready to go. And the monitor that's facing it is already set up. Um, All the wires, all the cabling for the mics and for the monitors and the electricity for all that stuff uh, is pre-wired and ran under the carpets. Uh, So it's literally plug and play. Like, and the monitors sit uh, nestled in a little nook where you don't really notice them when it's a home theater, mm-hmm. but you can easily just grab a monitor and set it right down on the floor in front of the spot that it goes. And you do that with each of the monitors mm-hmm. and then the wires are, you know, hiding under the couch. And I put the soundboard on the the bar table and just lift up the cables and plug it all in and patch it. It's ready to go. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good uh, idea for, for a hybrid until, mm-hmm. until I get into a situation where I'm not, renting out other rooms upstairs or unless I, you know, if I move into a bigger house and have more 
rooms where I can actually have a recording studio and, mm-hmm. a, and a rehearsal space that's its own thing and another room that's a home theater, yeah. which I mean, that would be ideal. But right mm-hmm. now that's just not, not where I am with things. So, so does everybody typically come over and play there then? You guys have another yeah. space too. Yeah. Um, well, we used to, we used to practice at, uh, the at Steve's house, he plays banjo and lap steel, but it's basically the, the studio is more with his other band, the mm-hmm. Amanda Richards and the good long wiles mm-hmm. who is excellent. You know, they're, they're, they're great. Uh, they're, they're just a fun country band. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, not just country They're They're, she's a very unique writer and does some really amazing lyrics and you just got to check her out she's awesome and um so that's where their band practices so you know she was cool with us going over there and rehearsing Mm -hmm. because steve is her roommate and um so uh steve i think steve had bought a drum set also off of craigslist that lived in that studio which is where i got the idea to just buy a drum set from Mm -hmm. craigslist and so I did the same thing. So I was, I was actually thinking that Steve was going to be kind of bummed about that. Cause, and I was just trying to provide another place for us, you know, Mm -hmm. but when Steve heard I bought a drum set, he got this excited look on his face. Like you bought a drum set. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Like let's practice at your house. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's not what I was thinking. You Mm -hmm. know, like, it because I mean it's pretty convenient to just not have to load your stuff and drive yeah, somewhere to, sure. to go rehearse, you know. Yeah, but no, uh, yeah, I was, he was totally into it. So I always hated that part because when I started playing, that's what I did primarily was drums. And you're right, there's so much extra stuff to pack, and you're always the first one there and the last one to leave. Guitarist just shows up with guitar and an amp. You know, that's super yeah. easy. Drums, there's so many pieces and you got to set it all up. It's fun, but yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Now I just need to get a uh, a keyboard rig and then I'll be pretty good. Mm-hmm. I did. Uh, we did just get a, a new old acoustic guitar. Got a uh, 69 Martin D18 that... Wow. Uh, a friend just happened to be selling mm-hmm. and uh man it's a beautiful guitar sounds great yeah and um yeah it was that thing's super nice so now i want to get a uh i want to get some good condenser microphones mm-hmm. like uh i was thinking about the old uh the old akg c414s yeah that's good when they were before they got bought out by whoever is making them now they started uh they just make them different i didn't know they got bought yeah yeah they still kept the name but um yeah i i have had this idea for a long time if i had a bunch of money to just have a bend it uh, spend it (laughs) that would be one thing i would do uh but if you could own a building with multiple floors and there were just like little compartments, you know, mm-hmm. and it had like a, a garage door that opened or some sort of locking mechanism. It'd be cool to rent space to bands so that they could have 
you know, essentially a, a practice area where their stuff wouldn't get stolen and um, they could be as loud as they wanted to at yeah. any time of day, you know? Actually, for many of the formative years of what became Tapwater, which was Steve and myself were the original members uh, that still exist from way back when it first started, which was in like 96, something like that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's been tap water th since like 2001. Mm -hmm. But we went through a lot of, of you know, band member changes and name changes, you know, but it's always been Steve and I have kind of like been the, the force behind this band. And uh, where we used to practice in El Cajon, California, it's a suburb of San Diego. Uh, this guy named Eric, uh, Eric Nickerson, mm -hmm. he had this thing called Nickerson Studios, and he took a pretty large size warehouse, not super huge, but pretty good size, and had a buddy of his frame in studios, hmm. like literally at two stories high like stairs and everything up to all the rooms and literally rented out this warehouse huh. and then built like like 12 studios inside damn you know so he did like, it he did just that yeah and, and all and the rooms were, all were soundproofed individually they're all soundproofed individually and wow. all different sizes i mean when you're walking down the hallway with all the doors on your right and left as you're going down you can hear yeah. the music i mean because you know some people are pretty loud there was this one band called db99 who uh unbeknownst to me later i would end up working in the uh concert production mm -hmm. business with those just those same guys but mm -hmm. they were always so loud the whole building shook and and I was like, what the heck is going on? And I, and this guy would come out and he would have like, like, you know, band, band, like big bands, that, uh -huh. you know, like ACDC crew shirts on. And so, and I was like, who is this guy? You know? And he's like, oh, you know, and they're like, he was like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I work, you know, in the, yeah, I work setting in concert production, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, brought a bunch of those speakers here with some amp racks and <laughs> for this little teeny studio, the size of somebody's <laughs> living room, you know, <laughs> it's just blowing the place out, but they were like a super heavy kind of nine inch nails kind of sounding band. So they yeah. were heavy and loud uh -huh. and like, why don't you just rip my heart out? Mm-hmm. You know, just crazy, like you know, mm -hmm. really awesome. They had this, this cool chick drummer that just killed it. And it was just three piece. They were amazing. I love those guys. Uh, but yeah, so they were loud and uh, there was some, you know, ambient noise. But when you were in your own studio mm -hmm. with your door closed and you were doing your rehearsal, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't it wasn't too intrusive, you know, like when you stopped playing to talk it, it, you know, you could kind of hear some muffled sounds coming mm -hmm. from the other rooms, but it wasn't so loud that you couldn't just hear yourself talk to talk to each other yeah. and get your work done, you know? So that's pretty cool. Huh? That is cool. I've never heard of somebody that actually did it. Cause it, it doesn't seem like it would be very lucrative because you're not going to get much money from a bunch of bands. You know what I mean? Well, you, a few hundred bucks a, a pop. Yeah. That's it's definitely, I think he made enough money to 
to support himself because it, like, what do you mean at the time? I think you could probably rent some rent a house or an apartment for like five or 600 bucks a month. Yeah. And if he's making that off of two studios and he's got 12 of them, yeah, you know, yeah. he's well, plus he's got to pay the the warehouse rent mm-hmm. i'm not sure what he paid for that warehouse the, the the question that i always had in my mind about that situation was what happens if the rent goes up and you decide you don't want to pay the new price of the rent yeah then you gotta do all this demolition of this i mean he i mean this is serious framing and yeah. rooms i mean you know i'm sure that it had to be maybe it wasn't permitted i don't know <laughs> i mean when you walked in it in no way resembled a warehouse at all i mean you walked in the front door and there's a teeny little foyer foyer and then this long hallway that just mm-hmm. took off straight back and then the, i think there was stairs that went off to the right mm-hmm and then when you went all the way to the back and it made a left turn and then there was other stairs that came up that side and went around to the upstairs room. So both stairways went to the upstairs set of studio rooms and then uh, his office was up there also. Mm-hmm. So that was that was what he did. He, that was what he did. He didn't own any other real estate or anything. He just managed that place basically. Yeah. I mean, he if he probably bought a house and like yeah. did did something i don't know he was he's a smart guy you know he yeah. he was uh definitely a business-minded guy mm-hmm. you know and uh he was cool enough to be lenient to not like screw the bands if they didn't pay rent on time because that's probably pretty tricky yeah but also was strict enough to say okay enough is enough you guys you know yeah you got to pay up or, yeah. or go, yeah. you know? So, um, but most, I think most bands were, were pretty cool with him because he was cool with them. And, you know, they, I think most of the people paid fairly, fairly much on time, mm-hmm. you know? So, but you know, he would just tape a notice to your door, fold it in half and say, Hey, rent's due on the fifth. Mm-hmm. It's the seventh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, come yeah. on. So you ever miss San Diego? At first I did. Yeah. You, you know, kind of right uh, now? yeah. I mean, I love San Diego. I love my friends there and my family there, but, uh, I don't think I would ever move back there really. Mm-hmm. I mean, Portland is so beautiful mm-hmm. you know the, there's forests and trees and rivers and waterfalls and eagles that fly over your head and the hiking is incredible the fresh air the the drinking water just the people's attitudes you know is just really really incredible uh, the music scene is fantastic you know it's a very uh artistic community mm-hmm. here in Portland, you know, and, and, uh, that suits me, you know, and I, and I like it. And now I've been here so long that, you know, it's been over a decade, you know, now. So this has become my home. I've made a ton of new friends. Mm-hmm. 
and yeah, a ton of new adventures. And so, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I love it up here. Mm -hmm. It's, it's great. So I love it down there too. You mean I go down, I, I still spend plenty of time down there. I go down for a month at least every year, mm -hmm. you know, definitely yeah. a month during the holiday break. Mm -hmm. And then for a while I was making it down there a couple more times a year too. Just, it just depends. You know, sometimes I drive, sometimes I fly. Yeah. So, you know, total, total time, you know, I, I, I do definitely get, get down there still and mm -hmm. see everybody. And so that's cool. It's nice down there. I've only been a couple times, but yeah. Well, it's nice if it's you live nice. near the coast. Yeah. If you don't live near the coast, it's not paradise. You said it's like super hot out there, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you get more than like five to 10 miles away from the, from the coast. And it's just scalding. Yeah. You know, and I don't remember it being that bad when I was young, but it certainly is now like out, out where, where my house is in Santee. Uh, it's, I mean, it can, it can get summer temperatures. I mean, it, I, I, I was down there in, I think, I want to say last November, and it was like 90 degrees really? in November. You know, I was like, what the? It's weird because, yeah, I was in I was in Vegas at, in January, and it was like 45 degrees. You never think it would get that cold in Vegas, but it was cold. Oh, yeah. It was cold. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing is, is like the extreme difference in the temperature between like a hot sunny day and the nighttime. I mean, it could be, it could be 80 degrees in the day and get down to, you know, 30 in the in mm -hmm. overnight, mm -hmm. you know, to where like in Santee where, where I grew up, uh, the blades of grass would just frost over completely white. Mm -hmm. Like to where you walked on it and it would crunch and break, break the grass, mm -hmm. you know, break the glass blades, grass, mm -hmm. grass blades. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, uh, I liked it though. Back then Santee was pretty way out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Now it's a thriving city, but, but, uh, it was fun growing up there. You guys had land around the house, didn't you? Yeah, we have a third of an acre, mm -hmm. so it's not a lot of land, but it was enough to where uh, my mom tried to instill a farm-like atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So, like, we had chickens and ducks and geese and goats, and, you know, we used to, you know, before we'd go to school, we'd have to milk the goat and collect the chicken and duck eggs, and, you know, and she grew her organic garden, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, she was single mother raising two kids and trying just trying to figure out how to keep us fed. And, you know, like she have a freezer full of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was a freezer full of ice cream, but I do remember that we did get some ice cream. Sometimes we used to have also one of those hand crank, uh, ice cream makers that had like, uh, the old wooden barrel style buckets with the, with the, the ring, the metal ring around to mm -hmm. hold the pieces of wood together. Yeah. Like a barrel. And, um, then the, it had this contraption that sat over the top with the handle. Then you crank the handle and it 
made the gears move and that would turn the inside thing. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to put like uh, all this ice and, you know, the salt and stuff in there. And, uh, it made ice cream. It was cool. I remember trying to move that thing though. When I was a kid, I was so excited about making the ice cream and everybody was getting tired. All the adults were getting tired of cranking on this thing, you know, and I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, and I get in there, I get like three or four cranks and I'm like, oh, how do you move this thing? Yeah. You know, and, I didn't realize that it it was that much work to make ice cream. Yeah. But that's where it began. No wonder it tasted so good. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I, I, you know, I have to say I prefer the, the one I have now where you can just plug it in and it turns all by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Electricity. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Actually, it's hot. It is. Electrons in motion. Yeah, so that's uh, it's pretty cool. You you grew up with all those animals. Did you? Did it seem different? Did it seem not normal? Or did no, other people? It seemed you know? totally normal. Yeah. Actually, um, no, other people didn't really. I mean, there was some some people that had horses, and uh, but I don't remember too many of the other kids having uh, having as much of a farm like situation as Mm -hmm. we had, but it seemed, I mean, that was just, you know, ever since I could remember, you know, and, uh, you know, we used to build tree forts in the backyard Mm -hmm. and forts and all kinds of cool stuff, you know, had rock fights and dirt Mm -hmm. clod fights and Mm -hmm. rode our bikes all over the place, made obstacle courses. Yeah. And so, so was San Diego, pretty different back then i mean it was probably oh yeah well, like it wasn't a, nearly as as populated or busy yeah you know. but did people know like at the time that you lived there did you know that it was gonna become what it is like it's obviously like in terms of climate like one of the best places you can live didn't people know this is something special um you know i don't i don't know what people knew <laughs> at the time <laughs> i just knew i was a Happy just go lucky go. kid, you know, just yeah. just having fun riding my bike around around and mm-hmm. you know, going off jumps and playing with the neighborhood kids and mm-hmm. had a rope swing. That was pretty fun. Yeah. We used to be crazy kids though, yeah. I have to say. Like we did some really, really awesome, cool and dangerous stuff. Um, like my my mom and my uncle found this slide at the dump. It's a really big uh, playground slide, but it didn't have the ladder that went up to it. And so they w- took some stuff to the dump and saw this slide and they're like, awesome. So they somehow managed to get this thing into a, a truck or something and got it home. It's a pretty big slide. It, mm-hmm. it was like, it had to be 15 feet long. You know, maybe 20 feet long. It was a long slide. It's big. And they what they did was they the 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 biggest tree in the backyard, the trunk came up and then it's and then it separated into two main stalks that went out. Mm-hmm. And they were able to somehow get the back of the slide up into that and then built a wooden ladder that went up into that V. And then you could slide down. Nice. Which was super cool. And so us kids, you know, in the summer, we would take the garden hose and take it all the way up and 
we would somehow we fastened it above us so the water dropped down onto the top of the slide mm-hmm. and and just ran down to the bottom and then we would put the the little plastic kitty pole under the bottom of it and we'd climb up the ladder and slide down this water slide and splash into the kiddie pool at the bottom. That wasn't really one of the dangerous things we did, though. Like, the more dangerous stuff was we had all these old uh, mattresses because I think we were probably, my mom was probably, like, getting free mattresses and getting secondhand mattresses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they would get thrashed and and I, maybe the dogs would, like, get a hole in them and we'd have to get another one. But we ended up having all these mattresses. And so... We would stack them up super high, and at first it started off pretty pretty tame. We had uh, you know those um, wooden spools like on a cable truck, yeah, and you know people turn them on their sides in their backyard for like uh, like a plant. Uh, they'll put plants on them or whatever, mm-hmm. like a table. Yeah. Well, we turned it like a wheel, and we used to you know walk around the yard walking on it and and everything, but we somehow got this idea to put bricks under all of the parts like a wheel so that it wouldn't roll mm-hmm. and then put a fence board up on the very center part of it. And we'd run across the yard and use this fence board as a springboard, like a ramp <laughs> and fly through the air like Superman and land on the stack of mattresses. Yeah. Well, that was really cool for a while. And all the neighborhood kids started coming over cause it was in our front yard. And they'd see it. They're like, <laughs> yeah, can we try it? You know? So they'd do it. And then, uh, then we started learning how to do f- flips. We'd like spring off this thing and do a flip in the air and land on our back on the stack of mattresses. Well, you know, like you can only do that for so long before somebody dies. No, just before it's not as thrilling as it was when you first did like the first 500 times you did it. Yeah. So then we took the mattresses around the backyard where we had this port, the back porch awning, not awning, but it was like, you know, it was like a hard wooden, it was a, just the roof that went over the back porch. Mm-hmm. And so we started climbing up on the back porch roof and jumping off of that, like Superman onto the stack of mattresses. And then when all the, all the neighborhood kids thought that was awesome. So we were doing that for a while. And then I was the first one and I was so terrified. It was just so scary. I put the mattresses directly under the roof and I was like, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a flip. I'm going to do a flip off the roof onto that stack of mattresses. And I'm like, I already know how to do a flip because I've done them off the ramp, but like, this is way higher. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, so. I, I stood up there for like 45 minutes and all these kids are just standing there. Are you going to do it? Do it. Come on, do it. Just jump. And I'm like, okay. You know, so finally I got the nerve and I'm like, just throw yourself off the damn roof, Robbie. You know, like, so I finally was like, okay. So I kind of just acid dropped off of it and mm-hmm. flipped over and landed on my back and everybody just erupted in this chair and they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the next kid tried it and the next kid tried it. And then all of a sudden everybody's doing flips yeah. off the roof. You weren't as cool. And then, and then it wasn't fun just dropping off the roof and doing a flip on the mattresses. Mm-hmm. So we scooted them further away from the roof to where we actually had to jump out and do a flip and land on the mattresses. Yeah. And then it turned into, the, into this contest where we'd have like our base 
distance from the roof, which wasn't too far. And we'd go through the line of all the kids and jump off and do a flip and land on the mattress. And then we'd scoot the mattresses back one foot further away from the roof. And then we'd do that. And it got to the point where we had the mattresses so far away from the roof that we were backed all the way up to the middle of the apex of the house. And we would full sprint as fast as we could down the roof onto the porch roof and, and basically spring off and fly like Superman all through the air. And then right at the last second, do a quick flip onto the mattresses and our heads weren't even landing on the mattresses. It was like just the shoulders <laughs> down yeah. and we'd hit the mattresses and it would, and bounce up off the mattresses onto our feet and mm-hmm. the mattresses would unstack like, you know, like, like, and they would end up looking like when dominoes have yeah. uh, already fallen, yeah. you know, they're like, like kind of like sandwiched like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know how my mom didn't know we were, <laughs> Yeah, didn't she hear you? <laughs> she did across the roof. She, yeah, and she would just you know yell this out the window, get off the roof. You know, well, plus uh, you know, um, I think we we're you know pretty evasive and secretive too. Like, yeah. like uh, we'd get home and my mom would still be at work, you know, and so oh, yeah. a lot of this would go down, you know. When <laughs> and nobody ever got hurt. Oh, I got I got hurt a couple times. I landed on my head once and on the mattress and it just tweaked my neck. Yeah. And I remember like all these lights went on and and I don't know how I didn't break my neck. Um but I landed on my head like from a full sprint and into a Superman dive and I just didn't quite make the make the flip all the way over yeah. and I just like hit the mattress upside down and it just just literally gave, gave me the the worst whiplash probably uh, i don't I, but i i felt my neck just go you know and yeah. like i came off there and i was like man i'm i'm messed up something's wrong you know, <laughs> I, I hurt myself yeah but you know i walked it off mm-hmm. <laughs> went you went back up five minutes later i don't know if it was five minutes i think it was a couple of days um uh, did you guys ever go, was there anywhere to go do stuff in the water? Like, did you go cliff jump or swim or anything like that? Yeah, there was, uh, there was, uh, before they developed Mast Park, it used to be called the Santee River Bottom. Uh-huh. And it was, uh, just basically the, where the, where the San Diego River just flowed through Santee and mm-hmm. it was, like sand dunes and and cattails and reeds and bamboo and stuff that was just growing, you know, and yeah. it was just, you know, there's you catch frogs and pollywogs and you know crawdads and yeah, all that kind of stuff, you know. But that was that was where I think a lot of the kids went. In fact, I just found a a video of that, and people would ride like their motorcycles and stuff out mm-hmm. there, you know. But um, but it was kind of like a like, you know, those scenes from Dazed and Confused, you know, where people had like vans and they bell bottoms and, mm-hmm. you know, it was total 70s, you know, there's probably people smoking pot down there, and, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but it was just this place where everybody went in Santee to cool off during the summer. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because it was deep enough and to where you could swim in it. And uh, some of it opened up into this like lake 
kind of, I mean, it looked like a lake. Maybe it was only a pond. I don't know. I was little. So everything looks bigger when you're a kid, you know, but, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good place to go. And so I found this video and I posted it on Facebook and all these grade school kids that I used to hang out with that I'm now friends with on Facebook. Uh, they're just like, Oh my gosh, where did you get that video? I can't, I can't believe that. This brings me back. You know, yeah. they're all just, everybody was commenting on it cause it was such a, such a reminiscent, nostalgic feeling for everybody to see that the way it was back yeah. then. Cause everybody remembers it vividly in their memory because the fondness they had for it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just hasn't looked like that in 40 years. You know? Yeah. It it's like, probably, probably has a bunch of super nice mansions around it now. It's well, it's, it's a, it's a park called mass park and it's fully developed and it's got like baseball fields and a disc mm-hmm. golf course and gotcha. basketball courts. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a park now. Mm-hmm. You know, and the river basically has been routed to just go right through the middle of it. And in just in this one section, it doesn't freely just go wherever the water went. And then eventually they actually diverted it to go in a specific spot. I think they just took the path of least resistance and Mm. and yeah, they just because the way it's developed the river has the main channel that it just goes through. And whereas mm-hmm. before it used to branch off and go into like a pond over here and this thing over here, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it just doesn't do that anymore. It's just kind of like a river. Hmm. Well, it's not, not really a river. It's, it's very slow moving, not a lot of water. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's dry in San Diego. So have you ever floated the, the river in bend that goes right through the middle of the city? I think it's the Deschutes. Yeah. 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 Oh it's yeah. It goes like right that? by the, uh, Les Schwab amphitheater. Yeah, so exactly. I've actually taken my whitewater raft through there. Cause that water is freezing yeah. cold, even in the middle of summer. Yeah. It's pretty cold. And it's hot out there in the summer, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't think that that river gets that cold, but it is freezing. So, uh, yeah, so I just I just take my uh, my raft and there's a spot that I like to pull up on where there's a oh what do you call that where it gets really shallow in the middle of the river um, I can't remember but uh, anyway there's this little like sand dune thing with rocks on it and it it gets really shallow in the middle of the water and it's right by the amphitheater you can't really see the stage or anything mm-hmm. but you can hear really good yeah. So it it's cool to go and watch band sound check, you know, and yeah. just hang out there and have a couple of beers. Yeah. And, well, my, my mom does, um, knitting. She, no, <laughs> she's, uh, she, she, uh, works for one of the vendors during the events. And so, uh, she gets to go to all the shows for free and oh, she'll, awesome. she'll serve people for the first two hours or whatever. And then serve they shut alcohol. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then they shut it down or they, do a, a shift break whatever and so she can go watch the shows and she said i can't remember what band it was but they it might have been dave matthews band they specifically blocked the river somehow uh because they didn't want people floating by and watching the show hmm. so i don't know 
if they just had police up there and they were they weren't letting people in at that point but i mean that's like the perfect spot to just yeah. be in a tube or whatever floating by watching the show but those guys specifically requested that no one do that huh wow dave, that would be a very small venue for dave matthews man. that's why it might not have been dave matthews i can't remember exactly who yeah. it was because when they come out here they usually play the gorge yeah for three days yeah 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 and and that that I mean, you might be able to have, I wonder what the capacity of that, of that is like. It's not much. It's got to be like 3000, maybe three or four. Yeah. 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 That river's cool though. We floated it last, uh, summer yeah. and there's a couple little rapids, uh, yeah. Right after that portion where you get past the amphitheater and dude it just comes alive that whole town wants to hang out on that oh, river yeah it's so awesome yeah i love bend it's it's a really really hip town um it kind of you know another cool that th this just reminded me is uh we played this uh summer concert series this last summer called rolling on the river and it was in reno mm -hmm. and uh uh it's the river it's this river comes through the middle of downtown and it forks on both sides and then down a ways it, it eventually comes back into one river. But in the very middle where the, where the two sides separate, they've built like this huge park area and an amphitheater and, uh, it's pretty rad. Like they have, you know, full line array and lighting truss rig and, and all mm -hmm. that stuff in it. Uh, so we played there and it's like, you can look off the stage on, um, uh, you could see the, the, the left side better from the stage, the stage left side better, but you could see people just like in their kayaks going down the river on mm -hmm. there. And, and the right side is a little bit further over, but there's people going on that side too. And there's like, you know, there's rapids and, it's a cool little, cool little area, mm -hmm. you know? So, and speaking of rapids, like, uh, with that Deschutes one in Bend, they've actually built a little whitewater park where they used to have this area where people would die every year because if you didn't get out of the water before mm -hmm. the bridge, it would take you over into this like really dangerous area and people would drown, but they've since turned it into the, like literally developed the river mm -hmm. under the bridge and opened it up to to whitewaters and they've even designed features like with with like rolling wave rapids and uh a surf wave for kayakers where they can go down and get in the wave and and just surf it you know where mm -hmm. the wave is coming back over itself you know and and it doesn't carry you away they can just get you know basically just surf on it yeah so i think there's three different channels of varying degrees of uh like one of them i think you can just go down and it's pretty much like a class two rapid and then i think there's another one that's like more like a class three rapid and the other one is probably like i want to say a three to four i don't know i would it looks like it'd be fun to take in my raft mm -hmm. you know well yeah have you have you been going out much did you go out last summer um, I did do the John Day River, which is pretty mellow. Um, 
although we did do it earlier in the spring and it had been raining a lot. So typically it doesn't have a lot of rapids and they're not consequential. But I think that one main rapid in the, in the middle of it, like on the second day, uh, was, um, it definitely seemed like a class three, yeah. like, um, it, it, I mean, you could make it through it if you went out of the boat, but you wouldn't want to, cause I think you'd just get graded against the rocks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 uh, but I mean, it's mostly a pretty calm river that just, it's three days out on the water. You yeah. know, you, it's like 60 miles. And, uh, you just find a, uh, it's through this beautiful Canyon land area and, um, you just find a spot and pull over and build your camp and then cook dinner. And usually you're pretty, pretty exhausted from the day of rowing and, uh, hanging out. And then, um, next day you make breakfast and then pack it all up, put it back in the boat and go down for a whole nother day and Mm -hmm. do the same thing. You know, find a place to pull over and you build your camp and make dinner and mm-hmm. wake up out there again and make breakfast, pack it all up and put it back in the boat. And you're saying you, you, you park at the top though. And then you, you, you park at the top and then you park another car at the bottom. Yeah. And you just yeah. drive back up there and grab or it. Or actually the, depending on where you put in it, if you put in at, I think the run is Service Creek to Clarno, I want to say. And if it is Service Creek, if that's the one I'm thinking of, there's a, like, very close to the put-in, like, uh, there's this restaurant general store thing, and you can buy your permit, your river permit in there, I think. Mm-hmm. And you for, like, 60 bucks or maybe it's 70 bucks or something like that, you can actually just pay them. And give them your keys and they will drive your car down for you so that you can save yourself. You save yourself a good hour and a half on either end. Yeah. You know, like you save yourself an hour and a half before you, because I mean, if you have to, if you, the way you want to do it, if you don't have somebody take your car from that store is you go up to the put in, you unload the boats and all your camping gear and all that stuff and you have people start working on doing that and then you take two cars all the way down which i mean it's a good hour and a half to two hours it's probably it's probably at least an hour to get down to the takeout Mm -hmm. and then you have to drive drop the car off and then drive all the way back so yeah it's it's easily a couple hours and then at the end of it you got to pull the stuff out of the water and then send a couple of people up with the cars to go up and spend two hours while those people are taking the boats apart Yeah, and do that. So, I mean, it's really, it's actually worth it to, mm-hmm. to pay the money, especially on the tail end, because mm-hmm. when you get out of the water after three days out there, you don't want to have to go spend two no, hours. No, dude, you're and, over it. You're done. You're just like, man, I just want to get in my car and go. Yeah. You know, so. Well, is this the same run that, you had that scare where uh, everybody almost died. <laughs> was that a different I don't know one? Which, I don't know what you know. What I'm talking is. about where it was you and Rick, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but didn't something uh, like we, really we got, dramatic? We got uh, we got 
pinned on a rock right in front of this uh, dangerous six-foot waterfall. Mm -hmm. And all the water in the river channels down into this really narrow area, and it creates a a low-head dam type effect where Mm – where the water's just crashing straight down and pushing, pushing basically straight down just on the other side of the, of the waterfall. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, as that water is pushing down, it's actually like a big giant scoop and it's scooping out all that surface water right there. So all the, uh, the tension on the water in the small pool behind it is rushing backwards towards mm-hmm. the waterfall to fill that hole as fast as it's being scooped out. Well, if you go out of your boat and you get caught in that, you're being pushed down under the water and if, and you can't swim away from it because all the water is pushing to, there's yeah. a current pushing towards the water to fill up the hole that's being constantly dug out. So mm-hmm. it's just like a washing machine. You're just sitting there getting recirculated over and over. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the idea is to get out of it is that, and I'm not sure how deep this, this part is, but it's pretty gnarly. And I, and I hear that it's a pretty sticky hole. That's what they call it as a hole. But, uh, a lot of, a lot of situations like this, you can simply dive down as deep as you can go, uh, you know, to where, the water because the water that's pushing back towards the waterfall is Mm -hmm. more on the surface so Mm -hmm. if you go down really deep and then swim out away from it i see you should be able to come up past where the current is it's Mm -hmm. that's pushing you back into the uh pushing you back in the water so but this the the way this hole is situated is just it's such that it would it'd be pretty dangerous to to go to go in without a rope or a boat like i wouldn't want to be out of my boat in, the, in this hole it just it's dangerous so did you guys so got, know this we got did you know all of this prior to getting to this spot yes yeah yeah and the thing is is there's usually these uh ropes that are um they have these metal eyelets that are drilled into the rock wall on the side and this and these ropes where you can portage before you get to the to this part, and mm-hmm. then and then you can attach a, a rope to your boat and and let your boat go over this this rapid into this waterfall and still hold on to it with your rope, and then you portage using the the ropes that are on the side of the wall and and climb over, and then everybody can get back in the boat after the waterfall. So you you portage the the falls, but what happened was is those ropes that are usually in the sidewall so you can portage weren't there. So we thought we had one more turn to go before we got there because the landmark wasn't there. Yeah. And uh, so we started going and then we're like, oh, shoot, this is, this is actually the rapid going in. We're there, man. Falls. Yeah. And so we, had to avoid this rock which put us more in the current in the middle and then we're going back towards the uh towards the left side to get out of it and um 
just got pushed right on this rock in the very center of the rapid. So now we're like rapid on both sides of us. Yeah. The boat's underwater wrapped around this rock and we're clinging. All five of us are just clinging to this little tiny piece of boulder that's sticking up in the middle of the rapid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just like, uh-oh. Because like, what are we going to do? Like, yeah. The boat's literally, the, the current's pushing the boat wrapped around the rock underwater. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it would be a swim to get to the one side that would be the safe side to go out. The other side's just a sure cliff. So you, you're not going to get out that side. Yeah. So we're like, we thought about taking our throw bag and tying it to a guy and trying to uh, maybe try and swim have him swim to the side and then he would have the rope and see if he could, could pull you across pull us across. Mm-hmm. But whatever way we did, it was just sketchy. And so we're like, okay, we, we don't when long story short, what we ended up doing was, was um, we were able to reach down into the water and start slowly pulling the boat a little bit up and somehow we were with all of us pulling with all of our might, we were able to get the upwater rail to breach the, the water mm-hmm. somehow. I don't know how we managed to do it, but we, we did. And as soon as the, the upriver edge of the boat got out of the water with us pulling on it, you know, of course, then it starts self bailing. Mm-hmm. And so the boat starts slowly coming up out of the water mm-hmm. as, as we're pulling, you know, assisting it with the self bailing. And so then I yelled at everybody and said, Hey, all of a sudden the boat's going to get really buoyant. So when it starts to go, like, try to guide it around the rock and everybody jump in and grab your paddles as quickly as you can mm-hmm. and, and see if we can not get swept over the falls. And so, sure enough, you know, as soon as we, like, started to push the boat around the rock, it started to take off. And Mm -hmm. so, everybody literally dives into it from this little piece of rock that we have. And they're scrambling to try and, like, get into a sitting position and get their paddle. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, my guide stick had already got swept downriver, like, in this whole fiasco. But I always keep a second one. But, you know, I keep it uh, tied in my chicken line rope. Mm-hmm. And so I had to unwind that out of there, which is, you know, a second, two seconds, something like that. And I used that to be my guide stick. And I just started digging as hard as I could. And a couple of people were able to get their paddle in. And we made it to the side. And then everybody was just like, just laughing maniacally with sheer fear and relief yeah that we that we actually made it out of it. i mean i don't I, I won't say everybody almost died but i mean i really feel like i could run i've run similar such i've run maytag at pretty high levels on the the white salmon and it's kind of a similar style drop uh-huh. and i've run uh on the deschutes there's um Oak Springs Rapid, which also kind of has the the left side of Steelhead Falls is kind of similar to that. But it's a little bigger. But um, 
I'm pretty sure I could stick it. You know, like if worst came to worst, I would, that's, that's if we were going over, I would absolutely tell everybody to paddle as hard as they can and to hold on and, mm -hmm. and at the last second and then try and, you know, just dig through it. And uh, I've had friends that, that have done it, you know, like off I mean, that six foot cliff that you're talking about off the six foot drop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Waterfall. I mean, you want to take it river left. I um, mean, the right side is definitely more low head dam side of it. But, but people uh, do it. It's doable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see kayak kayakers go over it, you mm -hmm. know, and stuff. But it's just, you know, rule of thumb. It's like, why take the risk if you don't have to? Because if yeah. something does happen and somebody goes out of the boat, it's not a really rescue friendly place to try to, to do that. And mm -hmm. if for some reason in the process of your rescue, your boat gets put like sucked back into the waterfall and that, that side of it does, it's going to going to flip your boat right over and then everybody's going to be in the water yeah. it's just not yeah you know, it's i mean i don't know i'm not that i'm not that uh audacious anymore yeah you know i'm just yeah, i used to take a lot of risks when i was younger with stuff like that but i just <laughs> well yeah and when you know, you're when you're in charge of now. the when you're in charge of the boat and you got four other people in there too like if you would have been by yourself Maybe you would have done some crazy shit. <laughs> if I was, if I was in my twenties and yeah, maybe even in my thirties, I probably yeah. would go for it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I like to have fun, but I don't want to die doing it. Yeah. You know, so I just, you take your, you take calculated, calculated risks mm -hmm. and that's just not one that I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so well, what what else is uh, what else is on the list that you haven't done? Uh, let's see. Well, I'm not much now. Um, Have you been skydiving? Yeah, I've done that, uh, which is thrilling. I I would even say that I would do it again. But you know, I mean, even where I've skydived there's been people that died there, you yeah. know, like after I went skydiving there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I, and I've had friends that skydive and I've talked to a lot of people who skydive and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, we, people we know around us die all the time in yeah. this sport. It's, it's a very dangerous sport, mm -hmm. but it's also amazing. You yeah. know, it's like, I, here's one of the things that I think would be awesome that I'm just not ever going to do. But I watched these, uh, the uh, wingsuit people. I watched these videos on oh, yeah. YouTube of wingsuits. Mm -hmm. And it just looks freaking amazing. Yeah. And they're wearing GoPros. So you're getting a firsthand view <laughs> yeah. of what it looks like. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right up my alley. But, I mean, you have to do something like, I think you have to have... A, 150 or 300 uh solo skydives before you can even do the wingsuit i think yeah because you There's... can't you can't do tandem wingsuit can you <laughs> that's <laughs> I like a, I don't think that's so. a one-man gig right there <laughs> i don't think so yeah so uh yeah i mean that it just looks fun as hell but uh again you know i skydiving already is is costs a lot of money you know, yeah. to buy all the gear and then it's like you know you just gotta 
you just got to hope that you get good enough and that chances and, and luck is on your side to, to make it to the point where you can get to wingsuiting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I know it's pretty safe. You know, I mean, the gear works. But, I mean, perf- there's when I was doing my, my diving school, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, there's like eight or ten or something different types of parachute malfunctions. They're like, this is the most common type of parachute malfunction. Mm -hmm. And it happens. It's very common. Happens all the time. Yeah. Well, that's why there's a second one, right? You know, no. Well, the, the, this one is where the little, the little one, there's this little, uh, flap that's around the strings. When the chute goes up, Mm -hmm. it catches air and slides up about halfway and uh, to keep the strings from tangling up. Oh, I see. And, and so it's very common for that thing to not deploy and for your strings to start to tangle. And you have to shake your hands on both sides mm-hmm. and, and get your strings to loosen up. So this thing like goes yeah. up and then does its job, you know, and that's a very common parachute malfunction it happens all the time. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's just, you know, but that's the way you try to fix it. And most, in most cases that, you know, it, that works. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but, uh, what about hang gliding? Oh, that looks so much fun. That looks fun. Paragliding looks fun. Um, uh, it's all that, anything flying. Dude. Uh, I went to Miami in, um, November and we, uh, I went with a friend of mine and his girlfriend and she bought us a ride on a boat that pulls you out with the parasailing parasailing. yeah. Yeah. And it just pops you right up there, just a hundred feet above the water. Yeah. He was super worried about it. He was trying to act like he wasn't, but he totally was. Did he pee himself? He might have just a little bit. <laughs> uh, he he was throwing up before we went because he was hungover. Oh. But we we told the people that we rode with that he was scared, <laughs> so they were giving him shit the whole time. <laughs> oh, he's so scared. He's puking before we go. Oh, I'm glad you're my friend. But it was pretty cool. We got out there and uh, I started to get a little worried too. And uh, it wasn't bad at all. It's, there's nowhere to go. You know, you're connected to the boat the whole time. It just pops you right up there. You're basically just sitting on like a swing, you know? Yeah. 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 It was yeah, cool. It though. looks awesome. I would, I would, I would love to try that. I think it, it's pretty rad. Um, been something that, that I've always thought looked cool. Uh, and then the, the other one, I, I think paragliding is the one where you have a parachute, but you, you don't jump out of an airplane. I think you take off of like a hill or something like that. Oh and yeah. You just, yeah. But that, that looks cool. And then diving actually is another thing that I've done that has been pretty thrilling, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's another thing that other, I mean, I know it's really dangerous, mm-hmm. but for some reason, it doesn't seem like it's as dangerous as skydiving yeah. you know, because <laughs> I mean, I guess it just seems more realistic that something could, in my mind anyway, that something could go wrong with a parachute and you just fall to your death. Yeah. Then, then something going wrong and you drowned. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's probably not necessarily the truth, but uh, you know, but you know, I got my open water certification and, and I've done some diving and it's been completely thrilling. I drove the, uh, a shipwreck in, 
and uh, off the coast of uh, Tolumban in Bali, Indonesia. And uh, it was the USS Liberty, which had been torpedoed by a Japanese submarine. And then uh, they tried to tow it around the island to this other, to the, they were going to try and tow it, mm-hmm. but it ended up taking on too much water and it mm-hmm. sunk in about 50 meters of water. Wow. And, uh, or 50, yeah, I want to say 50 meters. Maybe it was, no, nah, it's got to be more than 50 feet. It had to be 50 meters. So, so, but you can swim right out from the shore to it and yeah. then dive in, dive, yeah. you know, so. But it, it was it was thrilling. And you get around uh, the one side, the deep side that you go down. Um, the current is flowing with you that way. So you kind of just you kind of just sit there motionless and let the current just take you down the whole length of the boat, mm-hmm. which takes, you know, 20 to 30 minutes or something like that, 20 minutes or something like that. And then you go around the front of the boat and then you have to work a little harder to get back the other way. But uh, on the other side, the shallower side, there's this school of jackfish that we saw that was, there was just thousands and thousands and thousands of them. I mean, and they were all swirling from the ocean floor all the way up almost to the surface. Mm -hmm. And the vortex that was swirling around had to be, 30 feet thick, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, uh, so there's literally thousands and these things, these, I mean, they're, they're big fish. Yeah. You know, they're not small. And so if you swam at them, they would move out of the way. But what I did was I just, uh, I just kind of like went from about 30 feet out away from the vortex, the edge of the vortex, the circle of fish going around and they're they're moving pretty slow just in this big circle and mm-hmm. and so i gave one little kick and just maintained neutral buoyancy and literally just barely crept up and i was going probably slower than they were and my body just floated closer and closer and closer and then they didn't pay any attention to me because i just was i wasn't moving yeah i was just kind of like drifting closer and then i i drifted right up to to where the fish were actually touching me as Mm -hmm. they're swimming and i started to go into it and i'm like i'm like okay i'm not going to go into the middle of this vortex of fish you know i saw sharknado you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was like no but uh so I was like, okay, that was cool. You know, it was, and I, and I had, I, I had my, uh, I took video of it. So I had uh, a case for, I, I had an underwater camera. That's cool. And I'd so like to see that. I took, I took video of the whole dive actually. So that's, it's, it's near an hour long hmm. of that, just that dive. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really awesome, but, uh, pretty awesome. And I saw a, uh, a shark under a rock, like a four foot shark and, uh, I kind of went up close, a little bit close to it, but he didn't want any part of me. He's just like, uh, uh-uh, dude, I'm staying under this rock. Yeah. Leave me alone. Yeah. And so I didn't get too close. I just was like, okay, you're cool looking, but you know. So nothing never felt dangerous? Um, no, it was like when I was going through my, uh, open water part of the training when I was, before I was certified and before I did the actual dives, um, 
I got a little bit of a, it's kind of almost a backwards feeling. I almost felt claustrophobic mm-hmm. and that's a common, it's a common thing to have it happen. But, uh, it happened when, uh, we were doing this, this, uh, test where you had to go down to 30 feet and, um, basically take your, your mouthpiece out and, mm-hmm. and exhale very slowly, you know, all the way to the surface. Yeah. And, and, uh, the thing that made me get this funny feeling was as soon as like, I was comfortable as long as I was in like about 15 feet of water, 10 feet of water. But as soon as it, the, the, the gradient got really steep and went down and just got dark. Mm -hmm. It like freaked me out a little bit. And I was like, what the, I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to go down there, you know, but I'm like, calm myself down. I'm like, dude, I got a scuba tank on I'm yeah. breathing. Yeah. Like it's just water. Like mm-hmm. it's no different down there than it is up here. And so yeah. I was like, okay. So I went down and as soon as I got down there, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, it is the same as whatever. It gets darker though. Right. I mean, how, how many feet down yeah. can you still see? Oh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like the visibility there, the whole time I was there had to be, 50 or 60 feet really like you could see so far and it wasn't necessarily crystal clear all that way but i mean i saw i saw other divers you know 30 or 40 feet from me that i could see pretty well Mm -hmm. you know you know all all different depths and distances from me you know Mm -hmm. and and the, the whole visibility was was amazing you know and uh so that was cool you know, but uh, it was just amazing. The, the 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 trick to it is is just once you master the the neutral buoyancy thing, it it gets way more fun because, I mean, yeah, you still have to pay attention to to how you know your depth mm-hmm. because if you go up too fast. Uh, you can get the bends, you know, yeah. which is basically your, what you're breathing in is a nitrogen oxygen mixture. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that because of that, it's, it, it compresses inside your, mm-hmm. your bloodstream. Right. So if you go up too fast, it turns back into a, a gas and, and a bubble, and then it'll travel through your bloodstream and your heart and, and stop it. And you get at like an aneurysm, mm-hmm. but, um, so that's why you just got to be really careful. But yeah. once you get the neutral buoyancy thing down, you know, you can focus more on looking at things and, you know, and then you just keep checking rather than yeah. having to stay focused on trying to not raise up. Cause mm-hmm. at first it's really easy to, to just start floating right up to the top. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it's, so it's like, once you get your, your weight belt, right. And, and you get control of your breathing and because, you know, you get to a point where 
with you breathe in, you start to float up and you breathe out and you start to float down and you breathe in and you start to float up and it, and, it, and you kind of just get to the point where you're control your breathing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you find that sweet spot where you just kind of just stay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I, I heard and, some stories from Rick about trying to stop people from swimming up too fast. Yeah. 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 That's uh, and you know, cause and he he actually went way deeper into it than I did. Yeah, ah, yeah. Another again, pardon the pun, but um, yeah, he became a dive master and yeah. like started working with different gases and deeper water, you know, and uh, you know was a was a dive master, mm-hmm. you know, and you know teaching from dive shops and all that, and so he did have some scary situations where where. You know, he said that somebody would just freak out, yeah, and just start panicking and and like spit out their their mouthpiece, <laughs> yeah, dude. And he's like, and he would just, he's like, dude, I literally had to go over to this one person, and I just wrapped my legs and my arms around him and held him mm-hmm. tight, and they kept spitting the respirator out. Cause they were going to stream and I just kept shoving it back in. And finally he's like, I just took one hand and held it on the respirator and just held them. And slowly, you know, did the safety stops and mm-hmm. worked them up and they were fighting and trying to get out. Yeah. And, and he's like, just like, yeah, dude, that's a sc- scary situation. That is a scary situation. Yeah, man. And that's, see, that's some of the things that like when you're getting your, your cert, uh, you know, they do, they do that kind of thing where, where you have to, uh, you know, take your mouthpiece out and swim in a, like a 10 foot circle and come back and mm-hmm. then put your mouthpiece in and clear your mask. Yeah. That's another thing. You take your mask off and all this stuff, you know, underwater so that, you know, these are I mean, real life tests. If, if you're yeah. down 60 feet, you can't go up to the surface to yeah put your mask back on and get the water out. So you mm-hmm. have to, train for all these all these situations in, in shallow water and uh, you know take your tank off and put it back on and you know get to where you can do all these all these tasks mm-hmm. and feel comfortable with it so that if the situation does happen and you're underwater and for some reason you need to take your tank off or or your thing gets caught on something and rips her mask off or yeah or your well yeah he regulator he, out he told me he probably told you the story too he told me one story where uh his tank malfunctioned or his his breathing apparatus stopped oh, yeah. working and he had to like get somebody else's yeah 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 that's why you never want to dive alone yeah you know and and he always uh i think he said he finally started diving with because i think two is fairly common now but uh i think he might have had another one or maybe two more i don't remember but but uh yeah if you that's another thing they they teach you is uh they'll take you down to about 30 feet 10 meters which is one barometer so basically there's all these equations for how many uh, how many levels of barometric pressure that you that you go in so basically i 
you know, when you, like if you took a balloon and you mm-hmm. blew it up full of air yeah, and you took it down 30 feet, it would only be half the size of that it was mm-hmm. when you were at the surface. Yeah. So likewise to illustrate that, what they do is, so if you're down 30 feet and you, and you take your respirator air and you blow a balloon up to full mm-hmm. and then tie a knot in it. If you were to let that balloon go up to the surface, it would expand yeah. and then pop. And that's mm-hmm. what, that's basically, that can happen to your lungs, you know? Yeah. So that's why they have that test where you just breathe out constantly. And that, and I was like, when I was down there, I was looking at the top and I'm like, I'm going to run out of air if I just constantly <laughs> breathe out <laughs> yeah. before yeah. I get to the surface and uh-huh. then I'm going to be bummed. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like, as I found out through doing this test, like the closer to the surface I got, I just had more air in my lungs. Hmm. And the closer, you know, and I just kept. And eventually I was at the top and I was like, not out of air. So that's what you're supposed to do as you go up is blow out. Yeah. Hmm. So that, that will save your lungs, your lungs from popping and Mm -hmm. exploding inside you, but it won't stop the, the nitrogen from, Mm. turning into a gas yeah which is equally as dangerous so Mm -hmm. it's a two it's a two-sided demon you know that you have to deal with so how do you know if you're going up too fast are you supposed to count to 10 or like look at your watch to see how how deep you are like how do you know Um, well there's all these uh equations that you have to that you basically um based on how far down you are is how compressed that gas gets, mm-hmm. the nitrogen gets inside your, 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 uh, blood veins or inside your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And so the deeper you go and the more compression there is on that gas, the longer you have to wait to safely make it back to the surface. But that's so what I mean. How do you know, how do you know? Oh, there's, it's, it's all the science of diving, you know, it's all, you know, equations of, of how deep you are at, uh, for how long of a time. Mm -hmm. And then you make these equations with your, with your dive chart and, you know. Oh, so you're looking at it while you're down there. Or, or, well, yeah, well, they also have these really nice dive computers on your Mm -hmm. watch, Mm -hmm. you know, like a dive computer watch, which, which will tell you, like, it'll calculate all that stuff for you in real time. Yeah. But the way that they teach you is to by, is by looking at the charts so that if your watch breaks or something, yeah. you know, or whatever that you know how to, how to calculate it. Mm-hmm. So you'll know how many safety stops you have to make and, and at what depths to take them at. Man, it must've sucked to be some of those first people that had to discover all that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess, you know, like, that's a big, and that's the cool thing about, uh, free diving mm-hmm. is like, if you go down with a snorkel, yeah, you know, you know, and they have those people that can stay underwater for several minutes, you uh-huh. know, and they can go down to, to depths of like a hundred feet that's you know, with, without a tank. And yeah. all they do is they, they go down and they can go, they can speed back to the top as quickly as they want because mm-hmm. it's just air. Yeah. Cause there's they no, took down with them. It's the nitrogen, right? 
Yeah. 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 So then you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. So. And so if you get the bends, do you instantly die or can you live with that? Uh, depending on how quickly, like depending on the severity of the bends that you get, yeah. uh, if they can get you onto a boat that has a, uh, decompression chamber uh-huh. and instantly compress you again mm-hmm. with that same pressure, um, they can save you that way, but it's, it's no guarantee. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's an extremely dangerous situation Mm -hmm. to to deal with and you know that would be really scary but uh i for some reason it just feels much less scary to me than than skydiving taking a taking a chance with a parachute yeah (laughs) but i love i loved skydiving it was one of the probably the biggest thrill i've ever had in my life was Mm -hmm. jumping out of that airplane I haven't done it yet. My brother and uh, I think my parents went with him once. They they all did it, but uh, I would I would much prefer that over bungee jumping. I don't think I would bungee jump. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not crazy. Bungee jump, skydiving is it's it's really cool. You know they they kind of trick you a little bit, and and because you know when you like if you've ever jumped off a cliff or mm-hmm. gone on like one of those. Uh, roller coasters that just drops you from yeah. a from a stop, and you know you you lose your stomach and it goes in your throat and all that. That doesn't happen when you jump out of an airplane. Like, no. The thing is, is you're not jumping from a non moving object, yeah. so you never get that feeling of your stomach going up into your throat or anything because the airplane is already traveling. At the at pretty much the speed that you're going to be falling at, mm-hmm. so when you jump out, you jump out and you move forward, and you just kind of go like this and move away from the plane. So you ne- you're not you never go from zero miles an hour to yeah, yeah. terminal velocity. Mm-hmm. You go from near terminal velocity to terminal velocity, or or it, it, there's not much change in it. So that that never happens. It's like from the minute you exit the airplane, you just feel like you're flying. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's pretty cool. The only, the only way to gauge that you're even falling rather than flying is like, for me, I dove out head first and Mm -hmm. I saw the plane going away from my feet really fast. Yeah. And, but then when, when that was there, it was like, when that was gone, there's, you know, there's nothing moving by you really fast. Yeah. You're just in the air. So, you, you mean. Well, and things probably stay really small for a while too, right? Yeah. They stay really small for a while. Yeah. And like you look off in the horizon and it, it's not like it goes like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Yeah. And so like I was looking at Mount Hood off in the distance, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, that's rad. And then I'm looking at this guy who's flying around me with a camera and he's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but I mean. I, I instantly went from terrified before I jumped to as soon as I jumped, just just being like, yeah, mm-hmm. Woo, mm-hmm. you know, just thrilled. And then it's so surreal. You know, you have no idea that like a whole minute goes by and all of a sudden the guy's tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, grab your yeah. thing. Yeah. We're, we're pulling the shoot. And I'm like, already? <laughs> 
I want to do it again. <laughs> you do. You yeah. want to go right back up there and do it again. But but before you pulled it, before you realized that you were going to land safely, did it go through your head like, oh, man. Only up until the point that I was actually jumping out of the plane. Once we left the plane, you didn't think about all it. of that stuff just, yeah. you, there's, your, your senses are so overwhelmed that there's, you can't think about that. Like yeah. it doesn't even go through your head. All you're just is like, holy shit, I'm hot <laughs> Your lips are going, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah. and it's just a, it's just the most thrilling thing you could do, you know? Hmm. And, and I, I was swearing after that, like, like we went to this bar to celebrate afterwards. And I think I did like four or five shots of tequila right after one, right after the other. And I'm just like, and, and it did nothing to me. Yeah. It did not affect me at all. Huh. I was just like wow. so adrenalized. I'm like, I think I processed it like in mm-hmm. a split second. And I, I couldn't, I, I had a couple of beers. I'm like, I better not drink anymore because it must be affecting me. But it never did. I didn't. Hmm. I never felt buzzed. It's the <laughs> adrenaline, like, huh? Yeah. So it was just the adrenaline. And I was like, you know what? I think. And we were joking around about it. And we we're like, this is the most amazing thing. You know, like this could be a cure for for depression. Mm-hmm. Like take Take somebody who's depressed and throw them out of an airplane. <laughs> Not really, well, of course, but but we're like, you know, there's no way you could be f- feeling anything other than mm-hmm. elated, yeah. you know, after that experience. Well, you know, that's what the people who jump off the Golden Gate Bridge and don't die, that's what they say. They say the instant they left the bridge and started falling, they didn't want to die anymore. Yeah. So I think you're right. Yeah. Throw them out of an airplane. <laughs> no more depression yeah you know 32 feet per second squared dude yeah i'll have to do it one of these days i'll have to well you want to wrap at, this up are we at an hour we're probably over an hour huh? we're at two and a half hours buddy holy cow yeah well it looks like you got some editing to do yeah it shouldn't be too bad <laughs> Once I get a few more cameras and start doing different angles, then yeah. then we'll be a little heavier. But yeah, yeah, cool, man. Sweet first yeah. episode. Thanks, Thanks Robbie. Man. Radical pleasure. Yeah, dude. Cody, rocking. <laughs>